what we need is the representatives of the US government to be not just fully conversant with modern monetary theory, as I'm sure many of them are, but framing uh, economic policies generally within the US with reference to MMT, not buying into the nonsense that there's been with the uh, albeit inadequate mm -hmm. build back better or whatever it's called proposals of the BBB. Because actually, when it comes down to it, without the US government, without European Union governments, without the Chinese governments, within, without maybe 30 or 40 high income countries buying into sustainability in the very near future, because it is true, genuinely it's true, that this is the decade that decides the future of humanity. Welcome to Activist NNT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Hey, greetings from Australia. Happy New Year from the future. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year, guys. <laughs> Thank you. And it's 40 degrees, sorry, it's over 100 degrees outside. Is it? It is indeed, yeah, summertime. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's very much summertime. It's not much of a winter here yet, folks. It's pretty mild. We just had a bit of winter. Gone now. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, gone now. <laughs> okay, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing fine. And how are you doing, Andres? I'm doing okay. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing and everybody. Fine. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve and Gabby, how are you? We're great. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Good evening. Uh, that's uh, um, uh, Sandy Shellis. Environmental Coffee House. I, uh, yeah. Environmental I am Coffee the House, yes. science geek here. <laughs> oh, very and, good. Uh, Sam um, Hollenbeck um, up on top. Um, Hello. Over to the right. Hey, Sam. He's hey. the media director now for KRTD Media. Nice. And I haven't had uh, the pleasure of meeting the gentleman over at the right. So I will let Shane introduce that gentleman. <laughs> uh, I can't see his name. I will. Let me see. Let me remove the. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, you're, you're talking about me, right? Yeah, we're talking about you. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, yes, we yeah. haven't had the pleasure yet. 
Yeah, it's nice to meet everybody. My name is Neil Walia. I am a candidate running for Congress in Denver, Colorado. Ah, thank you for coming. Yeah. We need lots of people to run for Congress, right, Andres? That's right. And I am um, one of Neat Neil's uh, senior policy advisors. Ah, wonderful. Oh, excellent. <laughs> I used to interview all kinds of uh people that were running but that was back in 2018 before i really meandered into scientists but it was wonderful it was a wonderful experience so um why don't we first plug the show Stephen and gabby you want to go ahead absolutely yeah from uh next week uh next tuesday your time we're going to be doing a show called modern money donuts which is going to be a mix of mmt and ecological economics social justice and sustainability and i guess in many ways it's related to a very familiar book the deficit myth and also to us uh done economics by kate rowers who is i guess the stephanie kelton of ecological economics really so we're going to have on a series of guests <laughs> And our first guest will be Fadi El Kaboom, who many people know very well. Yeah. Uh, the guest yeah. will be sometimes an empty econo economist, sometimes ecological economists, sometimes climate or earth system scientists, sometimes activists. And we're going to spend about 20 minutes just chatting through one fairly narrow issue with people and have, we'll have uh, people on often more than once and a regular guest will be our friend in Adelaide, Phil Lorne, who's Australia's leading ecological economist. And uh, I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. We're pretty excited. Steven. We've already worked on the first show. So. <laughs> Stephen, you, you have a book out now, don't you? Oh, I had a book out uh, in uh, three or four years ago called, Gabby's coughing <laughs> now, called Economics for Sustainable Prosperity. Which okay. had a little bit of uh, environmental stuff in, but it was mainly about MMT. Um, it was based on. Uh, I used to train bankers, so I didn't even do a PhD until five or six years ago. It was based on on my doctorate and uh, um, Fadel and the Global Institute for Sustainable Prosperity were kind enough to publish it. Um, so yeah, I guess I guess that's related to what we're talking about too. But I won't really be pushing my book on the show. I'm an economist, as as uh, you might have gathered, uh, at uh, now at Torrens University in Adelaide, which is where I'll be doing my part of the podcast from. Gabby is a former professional musician, now an environmental activist and organizer, and we're sitting in here at this Sustainable Prosperity Action Group at the moment and i think uh, amongst so many things that uh, she should claim credit for gabby organized what i believe to be the largest mmt conference in the world so far here in I adelaide did. which andras uh, uh, kindly came to to speak at as did stephanie and bill mitchell and many other familiar names uh, and between the two of us we've been campaigning for a job guarantee Mm. and yep. action on climate change and an MMT perspective. And uh, Gabby's a bit more radical than me in some respects. She's a member of Extinction Rebellion and occasionally gets arrested and uh, 
Uh, not quite. <laughs> I, I clap from the sidelines. Oh, you want to show the book again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Excellent. I've got that book. <laughs> this Thanks is not a drill. Thanks for that cool intro, Stephen. Yeah, um, I was just rem reminiscing about that conference. It was about this time two years ago? It was, yeah. 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 And... Uh, Andres will remember that um, there was a heat wave in Adelaide at the time and uh, one of Australia's environmental jewels, one of the world's environmental jewels, a place called Kangaroo Island, was basically burning to the ground. Mm. Oh. During the Someone's asked like a very good question there. What is MMT? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> we I, might let other people talk for a bit. I think it's a good time for Andres to talk. <laughs> well, I will say I will say that I remember um, it, it, the trip was my last my last little trip before the pandemic. That was the January, a few months before this all went down, yeah. uh, and and we were we were worried about the wildfires over there, and there was a little bit of chatter about something happening in in the uh in in asia and in china and then it kept spreading the the, the pandemic just at the end so, yeah just Turned at the end yeah very relevant that was a lovely conference i went to sydney after uh the conference and and hung out with the mmt folks in sydney so that was it was it was nice so what's an, what's mmt andres somebody just asked. what what's mmt well mmt is a a framework uh, a lens, if you will, as many like to say, um, to to understand, to see, to look at the economy, uh, the macro economy, and the role that money plays in that economy. And you know, there's a there's discussion about you know, should we talk about it as a descriptive frame or a prescriptive frame? And my personal take is that any any good theory has both. Uh, has has both uh, good accurate descriptions and by default because in social science you know we're we're not talking about uh, natural physics we're talking about uh, social pe people and societies and institutions um, it also uh, has uh, prescriptive conclusions as well so um, the kind of fundamental idea is to rethink the way we think about money. And understand that instead of uh, the the common conventional way that is taught, and that a lot of the mainstream culture thinks about it, that money is some kind of finite piece of something that has to be raised, or that has that that uh, emerges from trade, or emerges from markets, or anything like that. Uh, you know, we are much more as MMTers. We're much more grounded in anthropological, historical, sociological research that shows that money has always been this public governance instrument to mobilize and coordinate things. And it's not at all something private and finite. So MMTers do work on that. And they, they rethink, they, they turn economics around on its head and rethink the way uh, an economy really really comes into existence. And, and from that knowledge, we use it to uh, to develop research and ideas and, and social movements about how to use uh, our, our resources to the best of their capacity. We talk about full employment a lot, and and uh, and that's an open question. What right? What full what full employment means? Right? How do we want to use work? What counts as work? Who gets to work? 
um, what do we want to do with work? And so MMT kind of opens that up to democratic processes. And we, we fight for a job guarantee. And, uh, and, and uh, we have an understanding of the limits of government spending that moves away from financial budget limits and towards resource limits, towards kind of structural political resource <laughs> limits. That's, that's kind of like my little pitch. <laughs> I want to add that um, there are three different things, are important points I want to make. So MMT, your federal taxes do not pay for anything on the federal level. They do, however, on the city level and the state level because the city and states are currency users, not currency issuers. Now, on the federal level, Congress creates money by law, which is how all of our programs are paid for. And that's just in simple terms for everyone. And, and the basic, it's MMT, modern money theory. MMT. Right. And I'm sure it's um, similar in Australia. I think you don't have Congress, you have something else, but... We have Parliament, we have Parliament here. Um, put it very simply, every dollar that the federal government ever spends is a new dollar. Mm -hmm. All taxes do at the federal level is to destroy dollars the government previously spent. Same thing as here. Same yeah. thing in Australia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the so-called national debt is nothing to be scared of. It's just all those dollars that the government has spent into the system and never taxed back out of the system. And actually, in terms of our savings that we ourselves haven't borrowed into existence, the government's debt is our saving. The government's deficit is our surplus. The um, U.S. government's debt, the national debt in the U.S., it really ought to be, be called uh, uh, the non-government savings. And it changes the way you think about many things in economics, as Andrew mm -hmm. was just saying. It doesn't mean there are no limits at all. And the most binding of limits uh, in the long run are our ecological ones. But we have limits in terms of uh, the amount that uh, uh, can be spent by both the government and the private sector every year without uh, driving inflation, which depend on our productive capacity. But the US government and the Australian government and federal governments with monetary systems like our two countries face no purely financial limits. That's the important thing, I think. Yeah. There's some good comments. Um, sure lots, of people, lots of people talking about privatization and stuff. Yeah. It's the same story here in Australia, although we don't have quite as um, brutal a, a medical health system. But yeah, not, heading that way. Not, I think a lot, of, a lot of people are aware of the fact that the US spends far more than anyone else as a country. Mm -hmm on healthcare, but because your health system is privatized and because of the way it's much less effectively. Uh, uh, somebody was, uh, somebody who uh, you might say was not a, a fan of MMT was uh, um, criticizing various things about Japan to me on the internet recently. And among the things I pointed out just to, uh, in reply was that Japanese people on average live years longer. And Americans, if you're rich in the US, as you probably know much better than me, the US health system is the best health system in the world. Um, if you're not rich amongst the high income countries, it's amongst the worst. And in Australia, we used to have 
a system which was closer to the old British National Health Service system where healthcare was available to all regardless of the ability to pay. To an extent that's still true, but we're moving in the wrong direction in Australia. We're moving towards the US model over time. And oh, part of it is because people don't understand MMT, they don't understand the uh, um, uh, appropriate role for the federal government to play in our monetary system. They don't understand the power that the federal government has to use its status as the currency issuer. Well, I have a whopper of a question. Would that be premature to ask a whopper of a question? Go ahead. An no, economic question. I have been hearing MMT forever. I used to be with real progressives. I'm understanding. I know Lana, everybody, all of it. But I have a question in the ecological sense of uh, regarding degrowth and a degrowth, the need to reduce global consumption and production. And how does that fit? without using uh, the GDP as the indicator of prosperity. Does that fit with MMT? Help me here, because we talk about degrowth, that we can't keep growing on, a, you know, on this planet. We have hit overshoot, as William Catton described in his 1980 book. It, it, it's, it's big. Thanks. <laughs> I, I just I joined uh, last year a fellowship with the Post Growth Institute, and uh, that I guess that kind of describes how I approach uh, the issue. Uh, I, post growth to me uh, it means different things to different people, but to me it means moving away from this alleged dichotomy between growth and degrowth, because it's it's the idea of growth is a, is a human socially invented idea. And when we say growth now, we mean GDP. But those are decisions that were made to count certain things as important and not count other things as important. So uh, a colleague of mine, Scott Ferguson, you know, when he was, he said something kind of funny when somebody was talking about full degrowth of everything. And he was saying, oh, are we going to have less hugs, less love, less care, right? We don't want it. We yeah. don't want to degrow that. We want more of that. We want more care. We want more, uh, you know, art. We want more uh, renewable and sustainable forms of life and, and energy and things like that. So I, I think really the question is to move away from this uh, question of growth or degrowth, move away from GDP and really pay attention to uh, social and environmental objectives that are going to continually improve quality of life. Uh, that that take into consideration the the limits of the of ecologies and of, of the environment, um, but because human human beings are are social, right? And so that means we have like qualitative capacities to change the way we consume, change the way we produce, and that's I think to me what's what's very important. It's not just one dimensional, um, and I and I sometimes get worried about. Um, claims of of overshoot only if uh, it, it starts to blame you know population growth or there's too many people uh, as the problem overshoot. Well, it, yeah, and it's it's an unfair economy. It's an exploitative economy. It's an extractive economy. It's a violent economy. The people who already are the poorest suffer the most from this economy. We don't care about what we do to rivers and and other ecologies and whatnot, right? So I think if we if we just 
took that into consideration and shifted the quality of what an economy did and how we defined development and well-being, then I think it would be a much different conversation. And and the anxiety around growth versus degrowth would, would I think, not matter as much because it would be, no, we need to accomplish this. We need human beings to thrive. We need them to thrive within the boundaries of, of the ecology. And, and those are political questions. So that, okay. that's my take. I would, I would add that I would add, I think there, there's two things here we talk about. One is the description and one is the prescription. So there's nothing in the description that uh, doesn't allow for degrowth in, in, in the MMT description. Okay. Yeah, I think that this degrowth sort of question uh, may be rooted in um, it might be it might be cleared up by a a better understanding of MMT. Um, I, by the way, am PG. I jumped in a little late, but I've been in the trenches uh, doing activist work for about twenty five years now, uh, using MMT. So the way I uh, talk about MMT when I have a 30 second soundbite. Uh, a key insight of MMT is that uh, our national currency is a unit of account that a country can coordinate on through the use of state power. And depending on the structure of that country's governance, we can then use that unit of account to shape our society as we would. Now, that includes implicitly the boundaries. You can't shape your society in a way that's impossible, no matter how well you use your units of account. Uh, but it also points to the, this problem then of, um, of growth and degrowth. What's the problem that, that you're trying to solve? Well, you can use this unit of account to uh, set up an economy. And what's an economy? An economy is a method for the social provisioning of human needs. So again, with a little bit of clarity, the problem starts to become simpler and simpler. And once you've defined your problem that way with the proper government and a proper unit of account in your monetary economy, then uh, what's the problem? Well, the problem is satisfying human needs. If all humans end up going extinct, your economy has failed and you haven't used your unit of account very well. Uh, the idea would be to shape your society in a way that produces prosperity sustainably. So it's it, it's really a, a simple a simple issue. And the problem with MMT is that it's so simple that you really don't have much to talk about. So coming back around to degrowth, where's where are they running into a problem? Well, they're thinking I think perhaps implicitly that the only option is uh, to have the government regulate the private sector, the profit-driven capitalist economy, which is what shapes society and what we depend on, and we have to step in and regulate it. But when we stop, start with a proper understanding of MMT, we see that that's not right at all. Any monetary phenomenon, including your capitalist economy, is embedded within your state, which is embedded within society. So what's the problem that the capitalist economy was was causing for the degrowth people well it needs profits and that is an accounting problem and in that those profits um, drive a need to have 
ever-increasing GDP. And if you're going to let the private sector market do that, it's they, they tend to want to do that by trashing things. And killing Build, us. <laughs> yeah, building I mean, all kinds of uh, planned obsolescence stuff and throwing <laughs> it away so that you can buy more because they have this drive to profit. But if you realize that that the democratically unaccountable corporations are not the only entity that can have a say in shaping and building our society, then, then you can make an end run around that. You can properly regulate them, shape the parts that shouldn't be validated, that can't be validated by streams of future cash flows. And you can start to shape your society, give them a playground that they can have their growth in that does not consume uh, car carbon emitting stuff and that does not dig up our scarce and finite uh, minerals and, and land. Lithium, yeah. Yeah, right, sending it back to Andres, you can send them off into a playground that is composed of meaning. And in meaning, we don't have a carbon problem and we can sustain all kinds of monetary growth in that realm as entities like Google have shown us. Fascinating. So, yeah, with a little MMT, well, a lot of things become much clearer. My, uh, my my colleagues over at at the uh, editorial collective called Money on the Left, we we have a couple podcasts, and they recently interviewed a professor named Paolo Quarantrone. Uh, he's Italian, and he's a professor of accounting. Now, a lot of times when we think of accounting, we think of like really boring stuff, right? You just numbers and whatever. But he uh, his research talks about how accounting used to be about social values and about politics. And it was a way that we would use bookkeeping and numbers uh, in order to reflect like a mirror the decisions that our organizations and our, our you know, our different institutions were oh, making. Oh, I know. Wow. So that we could see like, is this what we want or not? And it's only been recently that we've turned accounting into this technical, allegedly neutral uh, instrument, when in reality, it was a very social uh, thing. And so... Um, one of the beautiful things about money and MMT in particular is that when you understand that money is this boundless public utility, then it regains its qualitative potential. As as P, PJ, PG was saying, um, you know, you can you can do so much more. It's art. It's a form of art. It's a, it's. A, I like to use the word world building. You're so uh, it's about world building. Wow. And so, um, you know, we face these tasks now to do world building in a way that fits in the donut that uh, Kate Raworth talks about, right? Within uh, within the ecological constraints, but, but meeting right. human needs. I think the question about lithium is very important because as we know, there's a lot of uh, digging and mining in Chile and in Latin America. And where in the, the United States. Right, right. So there's going to be questions about how do we uh, involve the perspectives and the needs of the people that are around some of these sites uh, to make sure. So I, I'm from Colombia, right? And one thing that you uh, learn quickly if you visit Latin America, where a lot of mining happens, is that the, the people that live close to the mining have no rights, have in communities that have been devastated, they don't have health care. They don't. It's not like people are completely against any extraction of any right. resources. Period. No, it's that people want a good livelihood and some kind of balance to their e ecology. You know, you don't have to destroy the mountainside and the river entirely, right? So I think like it, these are political questions that we can we can manage better if we. If we consider, we have to manage better, we Andre. To, yes, we, we have do. no choice. We have, to. we have no choice. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we see this, right? But 
uh, we have to convince. Uh, Which is what we're all here for. We have channels right. or we have, you know, we have platforms and I certainly use mine. <laughs> so, and, it's, and Stephen and Gabby, they use theirs. They're fascinating. This is, uh, I'm so happy. <laughs> Just to move on, if research was funded at the level that we needed it to be funded and it was all publicly held, so a lot of the solutions that uh, the lithium mining and other minings could be worked out. And we don't know and, and because we do not make that effort. Um, and we constantly fall back on this notion that if it doesn't have a profit, there's no sense in researching it, no sense in going forward with it. It, it is, you know, somebody on the chat was talking about defunding billionaires. Uh, billionaires in a, in a good economy shouldn't exist. There, there's no reason for them to be there except to run a capitalist country. And, and that's one of the, I have a hard time with a lot of people discussing MMT in, in, a, certain, in a certain way that it, it's about opening up, uh, removing the profit motive from, from our research and our development and turning, instead of it being spread out among all of us. And that's, in uh, the MMT description, uh, it says that we can do that now. That we don't have to wait. It, it, it's just a matter of Congress being controlled by one group of people, <laughs> not allowing that to be pushed forward. And I know there's a lot of other smaller factors involved that need to be gone through, but it really is in our power to start moving forward. Okay, it's great to see Sam. I haven't seen Sam for a while. Hi, yeah. Sam. Yeah, it's, hello, it's been a while. Um, <laughs> I saw some folks in the uh, the chat earlier saying, well, no, it looks like there's no blue collar workers, no workers here. I'm out. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the worker. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't have expertise or pedigree or credentials, but um, I, I do have a very strong interest in seeing everybody doing okay you know that's really just my my only goal in life my only real driving factor in my interest in in mmt especially but in economics in general just because economics is the way that we're going to make make sure that everybody is doing okay and the great thing about mmt is that mmt is the proof that we can make uh, our, our national budgets work for us. So I guess what I am interested in the most is that a lot of this talk, and even after I've been listening to these talks for a couple years, few years now, a lot of these talks still kind of, um, there's terminology and, and uh, language that goes over my head and if i know if it's going over my head i know that it's going over the heads of like you know a lot of the people that are in my daily life my my friends and family and i do the best i can to try to break these things down to a on a, a layperson's terminology but i like to find ways to to help people understand like why they should be interested in MMT, why should they take an interest in economics? Why should they be interested in what technically actually causes inflation? First of all, what is inflation? You know, that word's been tossed around so much this uh, this year, especially. 
it's unfortunate that so many people like average workers don't really have and it's not speaking anything against them it's just but it, it just economics is such a dense topic and it is over a lot of people's heads that it's just unfortunate that just a, a, a large barrier for entry there as far as getting into and, and, and learning this stuff so I'm just glad that we're all here tonight to uh, try to make some better sense of it all. I think um, I just want to throw in, uh, you know, a shout out to everybody who is out there trying to educate, whether online or by giving public talks, like some of the volunteers here. The MMT community is massive and by, you know, by all accounts, um, keeping on growing and we've achieved, we should like give, us, give ourselves credit. We've achieved so much in the past, what, 10 years? Um, I'm just really excited to see what comes next. Uh, so there were a couple of things uh, that I had on my mind. Uh, the first thing actually related to something that Sandy Shellis had to say. Um, I noticed that Stephen, okay, and Gabby uh, didn't really respond to that question, but I've had the impression that a lot of your work, okay, is concerned uh, with um, but different measures of progress, yeah. Yeah. not simply yeah. using GDP, uh, you know, but using other indicators, okay, as well, which are more in line with the reality of the situation that we face. Um, so would you like to comment on that, Stephen? Uh, trying to, over the last decade, pull MMT and ecological economics together. Because without an ecological perspective, I'm not interested in that. <laughs> There's no point in understanding money and public finance uh, if we're going to destroy the planet. But on the other hand, without understanding money and public finance and the appropriate role for the government to take, given the way that our monetary system works, <coughs> we won't be able, well, I'm going to be dramatic about it, we won't be able to save our species. Um, yes. Uh, just over 10 years ago, Earth system scientists like Johan Rockstrom and Will Stephan, who's in Australia now, identified the nine planetary boundaries that we need to live within if our planet is going to remain a good place for human beings and for many other species to live on in the future. And as I'm sure everybody knows, we're, we are well outside, well, first of all, we're well outside uh, the uh, carbon intensity budget. There is far more carbon dioxide in our atmosphere now, even today, than is consistent with a safe and stable planet. We're already, we're more or less one and a half degrees above, uh, above pre-industrial levels of average temperatures is more or less already, you might say, baked in. Um, people talk about having a 50-50 chance of limiting global warming to that level if we are able to cut uh, our global emissions by more than 7% a year, every year from now on. 
Um, we didn't even manage to do that last year in yes. the middle of the pandemic. The global emissions are rising again at the moment. They're not far behind our peak. Global emissions stopped rising about a decade ago, but they have not started to fall yet. So that is a major issue. But there again, we are uh, wiping out species at perhaps a thousand times pre-industrial rates. I mean, I could throw many, many um, uh, uh, statistics at you. And we've got to the point now where the only safe thing to do in terms of extinctions is very rapidly to get to the point where we're not wiping out species at all. Um, uh, we have converted far too much primary forests to other uses. Um, uh, 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 these things uh, um, uh, fit together. And what people talk about the least, I think, is that we're putting massive amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus and other, uh, other uh, fabricated chemicals. We're not talking about the natural phosphorus cycle into our soils, and we're getting runoffs from that into our lakes and rivers. We are polluting waterways, and we're building up dead zones, not just uh, in, in uh, rivers and lakes, but in the sea as well. And, you know, we could go on and on. There, now, these are absolute scientific planetary boundaries. So the activities that we're engaging in, which are pushing us and have pushed us well beyond these boundaries, we do need to degrow. We need to degrow them seriously, very quickly. But that's not the same thing. And when you talk to climate scientists and anthropologists with an interest in this area, like Jason Hickel, ecological econo economists like Phil, that's not the same thing necessarily as shrinking GDP. GDP is a measure of the total amount of spending on the goods and services produced in an economy in a year. It's not a measure of human well-being. It's not something that it makes any sense for us to continue, as we have been doing in recent years, treating as our ultimate goal. There are many things which contribute towards ecological breakdown, which at the moment are either ignored by GDP or actually treated as positives yes. yeah. within GDP. So uh, while I'm not saying we should stop measuring gross domestic product, that doesn't make any sense at all, we do need to move away from GDP as a guide to public policy. And yes. one way of thinking about an alternative approach to managing our economies in the future is the sort of Kate Raworth donut approach which has been developed by uh, further by some economists at the University of Leeds. If you want to go on to the Good Life Leeds University site, you can have a look at uh, uh, some of their data, which is about living within those boundaries while ensuring that you provide everyone with the minimum requirements with order to be everybody's right to live a secure and dignified life. Stephen, Stephen. Can I interject a question? Of course. Okay. Does MMT have a component at the cop at the cops at the Council of the Parties? And if it doesn't, why not? Uh, well, the, as far as Australia is concerned, it was the fossil fuel companies that were uh, that yeah. were uh, represented at the cop. We have had MMT yeah. economists okay. there before. My friend 
Phil Lawn has been to COPs in the past and uh, given media conferences. But it is a little bit like, I know not everybody likes the movie, but we were just watching the Don't Look Up movie here. Yeah. Yeah. And and some of us, despite its faults, think that's a great movie because, well, there are things about it that are great, because there's so much in that movie that we have seen with our own eyes or that we've experienced. Yeah, and and, uh, and and that screaming from the rooftops. <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. That's what that's what we uh, need to do. I don't know whether MMT itself needs to have a uh, needs to, needs to be at the COP, but what we need. But it's a way out, yeah, or it's a way to deal with the climate crisis from an economic standpoint. Is what you're telling me yeah yeah absolutely right what we need is the representatives of the u.s government to be not just fully conversant with modern monetary theory as i'm sure many of them are but framing uh economic policies generally within the u.s with reference to mnt not buying into the nonsense that there's been with the uh albeit inadequate Mm -hmm. build back better or whatever it's called proposals of the BBB because actually when it comes down to it without the US government without European Union governments without the Chinese governments within without maybe 30 or 40 high-income countries buying into sustainability in the very near future because it is true genuinely it's true that this is the decade that decides the future of humanity and um, we are cooked and th- that's basically where we're going to start from usually in a much calmer uh, <laughs> uh, uh, way uh, than that perhaps as far as our show is concerned and that's why you know we're going to talk to Fadel about it and I'm going to be asking him the question you asked about okay. MMT okay. and sustainability and see what he has to say and uh, um, Phil Long too. Phil is an MMT economist. He's also part of the degrowth movement. So interesting for me. Okay. Because we just deal with the science. We don't really deal with the economics. And I mean, we we just interview scientists, and we're just so you know. Well, we're science, climate science centric. Um, uh, you know, biologically science centric. We have interesting people. And one thing I did want to say, because I had been listening to the other conversations and we have people on that are the underdogs of the science community. We have people on that. Not everybody gets to hear. We give a voice because, uh, you know, we're not, we're not giving the mainstream Michael Mann voice. We're giving the Frank Rotering voice or the Jim Massa voice or the Paul Beckwith voice. So, you know, come on and learn, too. <laughs> it's not all economics. <laughs> there, um, I'm done. So Thank you. I, I think, Sandy, that uh, um, um, Sherry Wise has been waiting for a long time uh, to ask a question, I think. So I'd like to give her a chance. I, I actually have a statement to make. Which is um, being an older person. I remember way back when, when uh, you know, really like back in the '60s, there were economists that were talking about the environment, ecological issues, stuff like that. And 
in the 90s, I used to teach out of a book by Herman Daly. He's the first one that I ever saw that really talked about the earth, you know, as 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 the limiting system and that the economy is supposed to exist within society, serve society. And of course, society is encased inside the earth. <laughs> and so, you know, the idea is that the, the economy should not run society. Society, we should use economics to help society achieve its goals. Um, and I think that's what MMT is about. Um, but, but people have talked about this for a long, long time before even the concept of, of MMT. Uh, but Back then, it was just called ecological economics or environmental economics or something. Um, so, so it's not the case at all that that one particular type of economics, you know, is going to not allow consideration of the environment. That's not the case at all. We just have to basically think about it in terms of how we run an economic system recognizing the limitations of our planet. Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention is that this discussion of inflation, I really think one thing that really, really gets ignored is that climate change is here. It's here all over the planet. <laughs> it's not just certain countries that are feeling it or maybe Pacific Islands or something. Al Gore started talking about climate change in 1987, and he was saying then we had a 25 to 30 year limit. Well, we're way past 25 to 30 years from 1987. And, you know, the climate is clearly changing here in the U.S. As an ag economist, I see this stuff all the time. Um, we get massive impacts of uh, weather problems in in agriculture. And in fact, it really has impacted the cost of food. Um, yes, monopolization is a problem. Yes, supply chains were a problem. Um, yes, macroeconomic factors are a problem. But climate change is affecting the price of food and it is going to affect it more and more. Um, last year, we had high feed prices. Well, of course, then that helps push up meat prices. And then, of course, the meat industry <laughs> has its own set of problems. One of the things that I used to work at the EPA, I'm kind of, I'm no longer really working much in, in environmental, but um, I do work with agriculture and I, I work with the, the livestock and the meat sectors. And that is an industry that is highly, highly concentrated. And it's not just the meat packers. The cattle feeders are concentrated. The meat packers are concentrated. The, and the retailers are concentrated. And so you have a whole supply chain of cons industry concentration. And what we know about, about um, monopoly is that monopolies will charge a higher price and produce a lower volume than in a, a com perfectly competitive situation. So wow. we have actually, you know, we do have inflation because of industry concentration. 
And that is the result to a large degree of our failure to enforce antitrust law. That's something I've been talking about now. Uh, but so um, inflation, I guess, is a problem. It's, it's, we think of it as a macroeconomic problem, but there are macroeconomic uh, um, things that influence it. And in addition, um, the macroeconomy affects the microeconomy as well. So it's they're not completely separated. They kind of reinforce each other. Uh, so so anyway, I've just been more thinking about you know inflation from a more microeconomic perspective and some of the things that we can do to to address that. But clearly, environmental concerns is also a huge problem. So anyway. Sorry. Thank you, <laughs> Sherry. No, you're not. This was this has been an amazing process for me, anyway. Uh, yes, it has been a very <laughs> amazing you. process. I'd like to give a chance to Andres, who recently completed completed a very fine paper on the MMT theory, okay, of inflation. Um, I wanted to ask him a question about that, and specifically, the question was. You, um, um, in that paper, um, you addressed so many different factors that are not ordinarily thought of, okay, as economic factors, and so many different levels of analysis that aren't ordinarily thought of as macroeconomics. And I suppose my question is, is the MMT theory of inflation, is that really a macroeconomic theory, okay? Or is it something that's more akin to a systems theory, okay, of inflation that goes way beyond macroeconomics? Yeah, I think that's a, a great question. I, I have a background and was trained in philosophy and social theory. So I come to MMT from a particular uh, kind of path as well. Um, that, that's a little different from, from some others in, in, that have different trainings. And I, uh, one of the, the, the things that I think is powerful about MMT is not just that it changes economics or macroeconomics. It changes our entire conception of political philosophy and society because MMT gives us this boundless legal administrative tool called money and work in heterodox economics on prices also tells us that prices are not the result of supply and demand, but rather they're administered by all these different institutions that are negotiating with one another, setting prices in different ways. These are all political processes. So I'm really interested in this idea of a social construction and how all these different things about who we are are the result of these social processes that perform you know, through ritual, through uh, kind of official means and unofficial means, these things that we take for granted as true. And in, in the philosophy and social theory approaches that I like, 
opens this up to saying this is up for grabs. This is not just natural. This is not just physics. It, this is not just the way it is. We see a lot of that in conversations about gender equality and conversations about racial justice, et cetera, right? You know, these are not essential natural things. You know, it's not natural that black or Latino unemployment is way above white unemployment. These are constructed institutional things. So I try to take that into economics and, and, and MMT itself by, by showing how money, investment and finance is also a part of this social construction and this social process too. So, I mean, for me, inflation really opened things up to like the big MM, like deep MMT theory, right? We can think about like the, the 101 conversation and, you know, taxes don't fund spending, uh, currency issuers, currency user. But I think when you really get to inflation, that's the deep MMT. And that's when you have to think about coordination, governance, who gets to participate, how we do that participation, our relationship to uh, the environment. You know, I think Sherry is absolutely spot on when the, the biggest driver of inflation and supply chain problems from here on out is gonna be climate change. And if we keep talking about spending too much money and money's gonna lose its value, we're gonna completely miss the, the major problem. And I think it's another one of the limits of progressives or leftists that talk about taxpayer uh, spending or taxing the rich, because if if the whole conversation is about taxing the rich, we're going to miss the actual structural points of how do we ensure that our economy can handle whatever it is we want to spend on instead of this arbitrary thing of like, does the government have the revenue for it? So yes, that, that was a long-winded way to say, I, I do think that um, MMT opens a lot of doors up for deep thinking about the human experience and in the future of uh, political philosophy more broadly. And I, I think any powerful body of knowledge has to be interdisciplinary and, and open up for various ways to talk about things. I think, you know, Kim Stanley Robinson, who wrote the novel, the fictional novel, Ministry of the Future, uh, has spoken to many MMT principles and the job guarantee. And I think it's quite beautiful that we're seeing some literature and some some novelization of climate change and MMT concepts. So, Okay, so I'd like to give a chance to Clint, who has been waiting patiently. Oh, sorry, I popped in late, so I don't want, I'm just trying to catch up with you guys. Just thought I'd say hi to everyone, though. Okay, so we are just about constrained to end here. And so I wanted to, uh, to thank everyone for coming and for the many fine remarks that we had. This discussion was a very, very excellent one. And I really thank you all for coming. Could I just say no, one no. quick thing to follow up to Andreas? A, a very quick, the 10 o'clock panel. He's absolutely right about, uh, about institutions. And one of the problems that we've had recently, as I talked about, and I trust we have not been um, basically uh, implementing our institutions as fully as we should be. Um, so that's part of the problem too. Okay, I completely agree with that by the way. Uh, so once again, thank you everyone. And we have to give way to the next panel. So I'm gonna start to remove Thank people. you. Okay. Thank you.
Thank you Sorry very much. Late. Nice to see some faces. Bye. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, friends. Yeah, nice to see people I haven't seen in a while. Happy New yeah, Year, everybody. Great. Nice to yeah, meet you all. You Happy New Year. Stop by VAProgressives.com for Martin Luther King holiday. Reconvene there. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Good night.